Well, hey, this is Ed Stetzer, and this is Ed Stetzer Live. This is every Saturday. We have great conversations. I'm kind of excited about today's conversation. Well, not to imply that I'm excited about most of our conversations, but but part of the reason I'm excited is I'm back from England. As as I as those of you listen regularly know, um, I was teaching last week at Wycliffe Hall at Oxford University. A, kind of a mix of our Wycliffe stu- of Wycliffe students there, Anglican ordinands and Talbot students. So we're going to be doing this every December and every May. Uh, I'll be bringing students over excited about that as well. So, uh, but now I get to be back at home. So, and my family's starting to come around, my daughters. So I am just in a super good mood. So just be prepared for too much cheer today. But anyway, and I'm also excited about our guest. Uh, our guest actually has a brand new book out 11 days, it looks like. And you know, it's one of the things we do is we try to connect with people who have new resources. And this is published by our friends at InterVarsity Press, who I owe a book to that is now five years late. So let's not mention that. Well, I just did. But anyway, so we're going to introduce you to our guest in just a minute. But for those who may be joining us for the first time, my name is Ed Stetzer. I'm the dean at the Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. And I'm actually broadcasting from the studio here at Mariner's Church, where I serve as teaching pastor. And excited today to talk about the Bible. Uh, last night, I had uh, we we did a uh, a dinner for some folks related to the university, and at dinner, somebody asked me the question: um, "So, like, how does the Bible come together? Like, how did that actually actually happen?" And I thought, "Oh, okay, well, this is good." So, um, I think. He's listening today. That was my uh, encouragement for him to listen today uh, to our conversation. Because in part, we're going to talk uh, about this and other related topics as we walk through the, the show today. So our guest today is Susan Lim. She's a former professor who spent over 20 years teaching in higher education, earned her undergraduate and graduate degrees actually in history, and spent several decades researching the Puritans and colonial religion in North America at large, which is really, I can't promise I'm going to ask her some questions that because that's interesting to me. But she's now venturing into new territory. She's actually, a, in part, a student uh, at the Talbot School of Theology, where I serve as dean. But she's been researching the history of the Bible. So we've got this ni- nice um, coming together of, uh, of an, someone who's still an historian at heart, but now wants to devote her second career to studying and uh, studying the making and revelation of Scripture itself. So, Susan, thank you so much for joining us. You're here in Southern California, too, where it's going to be another 70-plus degree day. <laughs> but thanks for taking the time to join us this Saturday. Hi, uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I just want to say this is my first time on live radio, and so I don't know how much I'm supposed to interject. And so your intro made me giggle or chuckle at a few points, but I was just keeping quiet. So let me know if I'm able to laugh freely. <laughs> you can laugh. No, laugh freely, laugh freely. And so okay. I, I just, I, I think it's great. I mean, again, I want to, I mean, the Puritans are so misunderstood as these dour, unhappy yes. people. But anyway, we're, mm-hmm. we're not, we're talking about the Bible today. We're talking about the Bible. So, so you did, uh, you were a professor of history and you talk, well, tell a little bit about that, you know, that former life of yours. Yeah. Well, I just turned 50 this year. And so I feel like I'm way into middle age and starting my second career late, but here I am. And before that I did, I fell in love with history as an undergrad. Um, I went to Berkeley for undergrad and I remember sitting in one of my classes, just thinking, I can't understand the present so much more. We were in the throes of talking about affirmative action and um, race relations and all of that became more clear as I learned the past. And so, yeah, that's how I came to really love history. 
And 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 you taught um, at Biola and your area of specialty. Well, you, of course, I guess when you're a professor, you teach more than just your area of specialty. But you did focus uh, on the Puritans. Your home church is is uh, Mariner's Church, where we both uh, serve together. So I I, I mm-hmm. love that as well. So so then you come mm-hmm. along and decide to write uh, the, this book. The the book is by the way, folks, it's out. It's you can go to edstetzerlive.com. And the link goes right to the book on the show notes. It's always easy to find at edstetzerlive.com. You can find uh, more about our guest as well. So the book is is Light of the Word. Light of, I, think, I think I might have said world a minute ago, but Light of the Word, how, uh, how knowing the history of the Bible illuminates our faith. And can I just say, cover art on that is fabulous. So because sometimes mm-hmm. I see cover art, I'm like, oh, but that cover art's really fabulous. So I guess the question is, because you state it in the form of a... Uh, Subtitle, How Knowing the History of the Bible Illuminates Our Faith. How does knowing the history of the Bible illuminate our faith? That's a great question. Well, for me, it was like a light that had gone on in a very murky world. And I came to faith when I was 17, and um, my parents were Buddhist. And so I had no idea of, of Christianity, really. I did go to Catholic school when I was really little, but um, I didn't really, really retain a lot of that. And so when I became a Christian and then I was handed a Bible, I was thinking, okay. And when I started reading it, it was good, especially the gospels and Psalms, but there were many parts that were so confusing to me. And, and then the longer I stayed a Christian, I realized, wow, this Bible is kind of a big deal in, in church. Like everyone kind of references it a lot. And so I was like, okay, I better get my act together and learn more to, more about this. But um, without context, it seems really hard to grasp. So when you're reading about animal sacrifices, or even in the New Testament about the blood of the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, we're so used to those terms. But when I became a Christian, I didn't grow up with Christianese. And so they were very foreign to me. So I was like, I need more context for this. So yeah, when I started to study the history of the Bible, the language of that time made me realize that um, what I'm reading can be translated to the present. And then really at the heart of it is, how do I live it out? How does this affect my life, my family, my friends, my, my work? And it became this vehicle by which the word itself became much more um, accessible. Yeah. Yeah, and so when we talk about the history of the Bible, there's um, more than one way to look at that, obviously, and you and you kind of tie into some of these different approaches. Some of it, as you just mentioned, what are these references to, you know, the, the blood of the lamb? What are these references to the scapegoat or to sacrifice or to substitution? Um, and simultaneously, it's, you know, how did we end up with our Bible? And you address that um, as mm-hmm. well. I think uh, sometimes Christians have a bit of a view that the Bible sort of was, you know, handed down as a as a bound book in, you know, right by the to the apostles, right right after Jesus' resurrection. But there's mm-hmm. there's actually a history to why certain books are there, why maybe uh, some books that could even be older than uh, than than some of the books in our New Testament, something like the the Didache, um, might not yeah. be in the text, and something else might be in the text. So there's all kinds of ways ways we could go on the questions of the history. So let, let me start, though, with the, the a big-picture question. 
So if mm-hmm. you um, had to say to you had a, you're having a short conversation, maybe you're in one of our Mariners rooted groups, a small group, and someone mm-hmm. says to you, said to you, Susan, what's the what's the one thing about the history of the Bible that just gave you confidence in the Bible? That that knowing this, if more Christians knew this, they'd have more confidence in the Word of God. What's that one? And if you can't think just one, I, I let you expand it. But what 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 would you tell them? Well, I would say for me, and this is just for me, so I'm sure God will work in different people's lives in different ways. But for me, I believe that first seed was planted in an undergrad history class. So I'm taking this history class and I recently emailed this professor and asked him, are you a Christian? And he actually said he isn't. But um, I was, he was teaching about the Epic of Gilgamesh which um, is a ancient Near East document that talks about the flood that Genesis talks about. And I remember sitting in this class thinking, what? There's something outside of the Bible that old that corroborates what the Bible has written. And I'm going to be 100% honest, um, and I hope this comes off correctly. There are times as a Christian I felt like I have to defend the Bible Kind of like I have to, you know, make sure that God's reputation isn't tarnished and that when non-Christians challenge me on something, I have to like, you know, really have God's back and say, no, this is true because, but after I'm done doing that kind of like PR work, there is still doubt in my heart. Like, is that real? But the more I learned about the history of the Bible, I realized, no, wait, God doesn't need me first of all. And there are a lot of archaeological written um, evidence that corroborates the Bible. And so that first seed was actually planted in that history class where, and then I asked the professor, the Epic of Gilgamesh, are you kidding? That's so crazy. He was like, oh yeah, no, there are a lot of other ancient documents that corroborate, you know, the Bible. And I was like, but you don't believe the Bible. He's like, no, I don't, but that's a story for a different time. I would say it would be that. And you know, if you think about it, Ed, of course, if there's a flood that's going to wipe out the whole world, everyone should be talking about it. It shouldn't be just this one small group of people called the Israelites that would document that. And so when you're like, oh yeah, there are a lot of people who are talking and writing and painting and there are hieroglyphics and all sorts of other kinds of documents that would authenticate that. For me, that was like, okay, it wasn't the answer, but it was a answer that led me to more answers. Fascinating. Okay, good. We're going to talk more about this as well. We're talking about the new book, Light of the Word, How Knowing the History of the Bible Illuminates Our Faith by Susan Lim. And we're going to be taking your calls as well. And our phone number is 877-548-3675. Maybe you've got a question about some of the history of the Bible, about its canonicity, and we'll explain what that is and more. Our number is 877 877- 548-3675. You jump on the call and let's continue our conversation. Okay, we're back. It's Detzer Live. And as always, if you want to listen to this program, maybe you're not listening on Saturdays. Well, you are probably at this moment if you're listening live. But you can always download this as a podcast, too. Go to edstetzerlive.com. You can click there. There's actually the Moody Radio app. All of our programs are available as podcasts as well because uh, we just want to have people be encouraged, be 
uh, do what the writer of Hebrews says, provoke one another to love and good deeds. Okay, we're here with Susan Lim. Uh, she's an historian and a writer, and we're she got a, got a new book out, just, just out, and we're talking a little bit about kind of the history in and around and about the Bible itself. Um, and of course, the first example we gave was related to um, uh, the flood narrative and, of course, how that's reflected in other cultures and contexts, one in particularly well-known. Um, so so that, I mean, and that's fascinating to me. This is, happens in an undergraduate class at Berkeley, which is not exactly a bastion of Orthodox Christian faith and practice. So that's kind of <laughs> kind of fascinating that, that that's part of your journey as well. Um, so mm-hmm. when, how, for Christians who just pick up their Bible, right? So you know, I, I try to read the Bible through on a regular basis, and you know, you get to places, and and there are some things that don't make sense to modern ears, right? They they they're strange in their description application, but with a little research, most of them can be explained as um, either historical realities or uh, things that they're referring to in the past. The New Testament very much relies on pictures and uh, examples from the Old Testament. So how would you, like, uh, and one one answer that I'll say, so you don't have to say, is the answer to the question is they should get your book. So again, the book is <laughs> Light of the Word, How Knowing the History of the Bible Illuminates Our Faith. So what would you say to somebody who starts to read the Bible, like, I don't understand all these things. I want them to read your book, but but what would you tell them about how to understand the Bible in light of the history of these books of the Bible? Mm, well, if they are a Christian, I would actually say just start reading it, just start reading the Bible and start with the gospel of John and maybe read a shorter epistle. And as you're reading the Bible, I would actually say bypass my book for sure. Initially read the Bible and ask God as you're praying and reading the scriptures, always invite him into that space and be honest. I don't understand this. How does that you know, how does that comport with, um, with, you know, maybe this other part of the passage that I don't get. And I know that God desires for everyone to know the scriptures because it says so in the scriptures. And then as a second step, because that is, I believe the first and most important primary step. The second one is to get a really good commentary Bible. And I really do want a lot of people to read my book. I think that's really, you know, like it's important to my heart. And I wrote it so that it would bless a lot of people. But if you don't have time to read another book, because people are busy and you have a lot going on, you know, what you want to do is, and and you want a good Bible. Um, I like the NASB. I like the ESV. Um, my senior pastor loves the CSB. He's converted me. I love the CSB now too. So those are all good translations. And um and get one with commentaries, and a good commentary Bible will have good history in it. And then if you have bandwidth, then pick up a book like mine or something like that, that would be able to go into um, more of a background um, analysis. But really, it's the Bible itself, right? The Word of God does not return unto you void. And so read it and then ask God to bring good mentors, go to a good church. Um, That's so important. And join a Bible study depth and really the beauty of the scriptures. It is, it comes out when you read it by yourself, but I believe that it comes out even in greater technicolor when you do it in community. Mm -hmm. I love that. Okay, good. All right. So, so as you're, um, 
you know, I gave you, you gave the example of the flood narrative and you pointed to the uh, ancient Near Eastern, other accounts, myth, myth, myth stories, things of that sort that may point to the fact that something actually did happen. Uh, what's another example of knowing the history in the Bible? And, and after that, I want to get to the history of the Bible. But what's another example of knowing the history in the Bible that helps you to uh, maybe, in this case, understand the Bible better? If you if you knew this, you'd understand more that was going on. Give us an example of something from history related to that. Um, gosh, there's so much. I wouldn't even know where to start. Um, there's one of my favorite books when I was um, in my first career as a historian called What If?, and um, I love this book because it says, like, you know, what if there was no fog on the night that George Washington was trying to flee from the British and there would have been no United States? And so it's these kind of like what ifs. And I love it because one of my favorite things to do is to ask like my kids hypotheticals, like, what would you do if? And so I just felt like it was like a meshing of both of my passions. But um, in this what if book by a historian, um, they're talking about, well, what if, you know, Hezekiah, and when he was being, you know, invaded by um, Sennacherib, and, you know, what if that the the Israelites, you know, fell into these foreign invaders, then there would never have been um, the Jewish faith, then there would never have been the Christian faith, and there would never have been the Muslim faith. Like, it's this, like, really huge what if that he asks. And I think if a historian asks that and is using the Bible as a historical source, it just shows you that you might not believe that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God who is Yahweh and Jehovah. And then you might not believe that Jesus is the Christ, but you can't discount the Bible as a historical source. Mm -hmm. And so it's just throughout the whole Bible. And even... Um, Jesus himself, right? So it's the whole trilemma people have asked, you know, Lord, lunatic, liar, do you believe he's one of what, you know, one of those three? And even if you don't believe he's Lord, um, you can't discount that he existed. So he's in a lot of historical sources. So whether it's the Roman historian Suetonius or Tacitus or Pliny, the governor of Bithynia, um, there are a lot of historical sources that corroborate the Bible as a historical source itself. Yeah, and I, and I think for a lot of people, they're um, they're a little bit afraid. I, I think that's a maybe that's too strong of a word. Maybe it's not. A lot of people are afraid that if I if I get questioned on some of the historical questions that that you know the the bible again I, I don't know the answers and again that's why books like light of the word uh susan limbs our guests can be helpful for us so let's so let's start talking a little bit about how the bible came to be and of course there's a lot of theology we could unpack here about verbal plenary inspiration words like inerrancy that mm -hmm. that, uh, that, mm -hmm. that we use that that matter um but you have this historian's eye, which makes this even kind of more fascinating. So, so the the in some people's mind, the idea of how we receive the Bible is uh, that you just kind of came down in the form of a book. That there were sixty six books, and there was no uh, debate or question about those. So, tell us a little bit uh, of the story of how we got our Bible. And again, we could use words like canon to describe that, and we you probably need to define that, of course. Uh, but let me also mm -hmm. say to our listeners, this is your opportunity to ask questions around this as well. It's 877-548-3675. Again, that's 
548-3675. Okay, so transitioning a little bit from the history in the Bible to the history of the Bible, which is a, a part, a key part of what you write about in light of the Word. So how did we get our Bible? Yeah, um, Ed, before I answer that question, I loved what you said, like people might be afraid when they're asked about the history of the Bible because they don't have answers. And I just want to say that I'm definitely in that group. I'm a historian. I have my degrees in history. I've written this book. And the more I dig in, I realize how little I know. And so we all feel like that. And in fact, right now, as I'm on the show, like my palms are really sweaty <laughs> because I'm super nervous. Oh, you're doing great. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's this fear that, oh my gosh, I'm not going to know the answer. And so I just want to say I'm with you if you feel like that. Let's do it together. And one of the phrases that I, I think I'm going to use the most in 2024 is, I'm so sorry, I don't know that, but I'll get back to you and I will get back mm -hmm. to whoever I, I can too. So um, I love that. And, but going to your question, you know, how did the Bible come together? I think in a way that's a two-part question because there's the Old Testament and the New Testament. So um, I'll take a deep breath and go into the Old Testament first. Great. And as you have already said, Ed, um, yeah, the books of the Old Testament, they didn't come together in a, a form what we will call like a book or a codex. They were written in, on scrolls. And a lot of these scrolls were, weren't even put together. Like they weren't all in like one receptacle. So there are, let's say like the five what we call the Pentateuch or the Torah or the law, those always have been held together. So yeah, those scrolls are put together. They're always in, in unison, but you know, that, and let's say like the book of Malachi would not necessarily have been well initially put together. So um, it's a long history and the old Testament was written over a course of about a thousand years. And we know that they were written by different people that got tasked so as Christians, we come to believe that these words written by men on parchment is actually divinely inspired. And that's what we call canonical or books that are sacred and divine. So there are good books out there, a lot of good books. You had mentioned the Didache, which the early church used as um, a manual. And there are a lot of good books, um, but it's not God's word. And so... We believe as Christians that God hand-selected certain people to be inspired to write the original Bible or these original books. What, the original form is what we call the autographs. And that these books for the Old Testament were then eventually over a thousand years written and about 400 years before Christ, the canon of the Old Testament was closed. So I'll stop there, Ed, because I don't want to keep on talking because then it'll become kind of like this, like lecture. But um, do you want me to continue? Well, let's, or, let, me, or... let, me be crystal, mm -hmm. let me be crystal clear, Susan, that in my yeah. world, a lecture is not a bad thing. But that's another story <laughs> for another day. Okay. So, so, so then the, the, the canon in the Old Testament is the, the, the books of the Old Testament. And, and canon is a mm -hmm. word that we, we think of a canon as something that's sort of a big thing that blows up stuff. Uh, a canon is uh, is a measure. It's a measure of something. So that's that's what that ultimately looks like. Okay, yeah. So so keep going. So tell us a little bit about the the New Testament. 
Right, right. So, um, so well, just going back to the Old Testament really quickly, I want to say that um, the Old Testament, when we say that, it, there are different versions of it. But as Christians, as Protestant Christians, we have inherited what we call the Masoretic text, which is the Hebrew Bible. And then um, those books, which are our 39 Old Testament, are the canon of the Old Testament. Now, the New Testament was written during the first century. And so these are um, the Gospels and the, and the Epistles, and then we get to Revelation. And these books in the New Testament were written by either an apostle or an apostolic associate. And so that was another thing um, when you had asked me, is there something about the cohering or the history of the Bible that made me think, wow, this, this is the real deal. I didn't know how stringent the process was to even be considered to be a part of the running. But um, like the New Testament, from the get-go, if you weren't an apostle or an apostolic associate, then none of your writings were going to be even be considered to be a possible um, uh, bid in the canon. And so the, the test was it had to be written during the apostolic period, which is the first century. And of course, it has to corroborate the Old Testament, the story of the patriarchal narratives, and then, of course, the story of Jesus, his his you know coming, his life, his sacrifice, his death, and his resurrection. Fascinating. Okay, good. We're going to continue our conversation in just a minute. We're talking to Susan Lim. Susan's uh, uh, written this brand new book. Again, it's out 11 days, so you, I want to encourage you to pick it up. It's called A Light of the Word, How Knowing the History of the Bible Illuminates Our Faith. When we come back, we're going to go right to the phones. And so let me encourage you to jump on the line as well. 877-548-3675. Again, that's uh, 877-548-3675. I think you'd be encouraged by this conversation as we talk about, well, the history in and of the Bible. So stay with us and we'll continue our conversation with Susan Lim in just a moment. Hey, we're back at Stetzer Live, and uh, glad to be with you this and every Saturday at this time. We've got a guest today, Susan Lim, and we've been talking about her new book, Light of the Word. And by new book, I mean it's, let's see, it's December 16th, it's 11 days out. Light of the Word, How Knowing the History of the Bible Illuminates Our Faith. I told you we're going to go to the calls, and we are. Let me remind you, you can call in at 877-548-3675. Uh, we're going to go first to uh, to uh, call her from K Wave in the Southern California area, who uh, who wants to ask a question. So, friend from K Wave, you're live on the air. Go right ahead. Are you there? I'm not hearing anybody. Maybe I'm doing something wrong here. So I put that back on hold as well, and we'll we'll try that uh, one more time. We've got someone who's uh, who's a, who's a caller listening on K Wave, who's a special friend who wanted to ask a question. So we're going to go back there for just a second. Can you hear us? Okay, I'm not sure what's up. Um, so. Bob, if you could check and see if we're, uh, Bob's our engineer, and we have a great team, Bob Moreau, our engineer, Karen Hendren, our producer uh, as well, and let's try that again. Uh, let's see, you should be on the air. Are you on the air? Caller from California. Nope, you say you hear me, and then you don't, so uh, okay. All right, so uh, Susan, I'm going to go back to you and kind of just kind of 
I guess ask some of the questions that, that have already that people are already be asking. And Bob, if you can drop me in the notes, uh, let me know a little bit what's go. Oh, it says I can try them again. Here we go. All right, we're trying <laughs> one more time. Are you there? I am here. Okay. Okay. All right. Go right ahead with your question, please. And sorry about that. I think that's something technologically on our side, but I think we got it now. So go right ahead with your question or your comment. No problem. My name is Eric, and I have a question for Susan. What do I tell people who are um, wrestling with, how do I believe this? Like, I, I want to believe the Bible, but, but I'm not sure if I do. What, what could I suggest to them as the next step to help them along in their journey? Are we going to pretend that, that we don't know that <laughs> voice? Is that what we're going to do? Susan, you can preach your pastor. Go ahead. <laughs> so my name is Eric. So I'm that is a uh... pastor at Mariner's Church, and her book is incredible. It helps, helps me. It helps people in our church. And I've heard her answer this question before, and it's a beautiful answer. So I wanted other people to benefit from it. And you guys are in a small oh. group together, so I don't think we're going to get too far down the road before we knew. So that's Eric Geiger, been uh, been a close friend of mine for about a decade. All right, Susan, so your pastor and our friend has asked you, uh, how did, was it, you kind of, Eric, say it one more time. Okay, I want to believe this. I'm not sure I believe this. What do I do? Hey, Eric. <laughs> how are you this morning? Good. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, you guys can't catch oh up. Goodness. I need an answer to the question, Susan. No catching up. So, all right, go ahead. No catching up. Okay, okay. Um, I would say go to Mariner's Church and listen to Eric Geiger's sermon. There you go. Well, we're, there, we're on 250 outlets nationwide. So let's say they're up in New Hampshire and can't go to Mariner's Church. What would you suggest? Okay, so we know that Mariners has, you know, our online uh, services, but I oh, think real... stop and uh, just I know, answer I... the question, Susan Lim. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I would say I'm. I would say, and this is going to sound like a cop out answer, but it's not. It really is. Go do your business with God, and that's um, this term that came to my heart. It's called the Second Confession, and it's the heart of the book. And I love my title, Light of the Word, but I really wanted the title of this book to be The Second Confession. And I'm glad that my editor said no, because they thought, you know, well, it can, it, it's just broad and people might not know it. But I hope one day that the term is more widely understood. And I really do love Eric's question, because when people don't make their second confession, which is what I term this moment where you truly believe that the Bible is God's word, then it will always be just this almost relic or this um, like maybe anthem. Maybe it's some kind of like guidebook, but it won't be life and it won't be sustenance. And it can't be that without the working of the Holy Spirit. So while you're reading the Bible, and I'm dead serious, people should go to a really solid church, listen to sermons um, and and, but the heart of it is, it's a gift from God when he allows the word to be real in your heart and in your mind. So ask him and he will answer you. Um, but ask him and say, God, I don't know how to believe this. Will you show me? Yeah. Yeah, so good, so good. And Eric, thanks thanks so much for the call. Normally, Eric, just so you know, we'd give a copy uh, of the book to the caller, but not for you today, since I'm sure you already have one as well. 
<laughs> but <laughs> thanks for taking uh, taking the time to call and and giving a little a little boost to our conversation today. Susan and I both appreciate it. We appreciate you. Thanks, Eric. I'm honored to do it. Awesome. Right. See you soon. Good Bye. deal. We'll see you this weekend. <laughs> um, okay. So, um, so the, I, I want to come back to that as well. And again, you're the guest and I don't normally give this long of an example when talking to a guest, but I think what you said, just said is so important and it's important for Christian leaders as well. I used to lead the Billy Graham Center and I take people on this tour of the Billy Graham Center Museum. Mm-hmm. And there's this one place where Billy Graham's ministry is just getting started and he's discouraged. He just has this, he calls this crusade in Altoona, Pennsylvania, a bomb. Uh, um, mm-hmm. It's, it's, um, he's struggling. A friend of his has moved away from Christianity, a very famous evangelist moved away from Christianity. He's at Forest Home, which is out here in California, and he'd been studying the Bible. So he's at this tree stump, and he actually, um, he sees this phrase popping up in the Bible, and it says, thus saith the Lord. And here's what he says. So he's at this tree stump. And, um, and he puts down his Bible, and I'm just quoting. He says, Oh God, there are many things in this book I do not understand. There are many problems with it for which I have no solution. There are sometimes seeming contradictions. There are areas that don't learn science. I can't answer some of the philosophical or psychological questions from Chuck. That was the Chuck Templeton who uh, left the faith, mm-hmm. are raising. And then he says, But Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I believe you at your inspired word. And he says that mm-hmm. from then forth, he was preaching it with greater power, and, and if you're going through the museum with me, right after that is this crusade in, in Los Angeles, and then London, and then the world. So I do think that even the skeptical person who can lean in and say, I'm going to really seek to understand uh, the word of God as the word of God, that they'll receive it mm-hmm. differently. Yeah. And I think that's a that's a key issue is to actually uh, lean in and say, Lord, use this word in my heart and in my life. So mm-hmm. for you, you talked about your, your two confessions. Your first confession, I don't think you said it when you explained a minute ago, was accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, to believe deeply the Bible, was so essential. So come back to that and tell us, why is it so essential for our listeners who are mostly Christians, but maybe some who are not yet, uh, why is it so important for them to have that second confession? Yeah, um, thank you for sharing Billy Graham's story, Ed. I um, I incorporate that too in the book because I was just so taken by his story, and Powerful. you know the part that really uh, that really struck me was that he was so deep in ministry before he made his his tree stump confession, is which I I call the second confession, yeah. and he was doing crusades. He was actually the president of a college at the time, yeah, a Christian college. And yeah. so I just want to say, um, if you are deep in ministry and you find yourself even on staff somewhere and you're supposed to kind of be this expert, but deep in your heart, there is this doubt and there's a, and there's just this like, I'm not sure if this is altogether true or, or at least I don't know it. I just want to encourage people that you shouldn't feel discouraged. That's actually a really good sign that you're being honest with your own heart and God wants mm-hmm. to allow you to make that second confession. So I'm going to your question, Ed. The second confession, without it, we can't live the lives that God wants us to. And that's the heart of it that God didn't give us the Bible just as a, um, 
just as like a thing for us to check in on every so often. It's not just for Christmas. It's not just for Easter. It's supposed to be something that we, it's like our manna, like our three meals a day. And, um, you know, when Jesus said, you know, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And just the amount of scripture that Jesus quoted, it was on his tongue. It was in his heart. It was ruminating in his mind. It was the fabric of his DNA. And of course, he is the word, as we know from John chapter one, but he modeled that for us. And so I lived like that for so long, Ed. I came became a Christian when I was 17. I didn't make my second confession until I was in my mid-30s. And I always felt like maybe I'm doing something really, really wrong. And there's something wrong with my faith because I feel so defeated in my Christianity. And not to say after your second confession, you're going to live a perfect life. But after the word becomes real and it becomes this source of power and food and and um, breath and life and everything that it's supposed to be, when you fall, you know immediately where to go to. And as you memorize scripture in that moment where you're really weak, his word becomes real and it gives you strength like none other. And so I think that's the passion of my heart. I pray that Christians all over, first of all, would have this dialogue, that we don't have to hide from each other. I, I, I am positive because I was there too, as I was leading Bible study, trying to pretend I knew things, that it, it's so hard to go along with that for, for you know, forever. And that people would say, you know what, no, I'm really struggling, or at least like I need to know more, and that we would do that together. And in that exercise, God would do that miraculous work of making it real. Mm. Love it. Love that you love the word. Love that we're having this conversation today as well. We've got one more segment. We're going to go all the whole time with your calls. Again, it's 877-548-3675. We've got a few copies of the book to give away as well. And so we want to share that with you also. Again, our number is 877-548-3675. We're talking to Susan Lim about her book, Light of the Word. How Knowing the History of the Bible Illuminates Our Faith. Again, our number, 877-548-3675. Hey, we're back. Final segment. We're going to go right to your calls. You're listening to Ed Stetzer Live. Our guest, Susan Lim, who's written a brand new book, Light of the Word, How Knowing the History of the Bible illuminates our faith. So let's jump in first. We're going to go to Victoria in Rialto, California. Victoria, you're live on the air with your question or your comment. Go right ahead. Hello, Susan. I I just have a 22-year-old grandson who had an interesting conversation with me about the Bible. I've raised him since he came home in his little outfit as a little boy. Now he's a grown man. And I was talking to him about the Word of God. He said, Grandma, it's like Wikipedia. You could just change it. He doesn't believe that it's real. <laughs> oh, I couldn't believe he said that to me. It just, I, I literally, t- it took my breath away to hear that come out of his mouth, and it broke my heart, too, <laughs> because he knows how real it is to me. I feel about the Word of God like you. It's my breath. Mm. It's my food. It's my drink. I turn to the Word of God for strength when I'm down and encouragement mm. when I'm weak. And 
I, I, I'm so grateful that the Lord left it for us. Where would we be right now if we didn't have the word to turn to? What an mm-hmm. anchor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank well, you. Let's, let's be very great. Victoria, thank you so much for your call, too. I want you to hold on the line because we're going to give you a copy um, of that book. A producer will come on the line in just a minute and give you a copy of the book, Light of the Word. So how would you encourage uh, her to, and Victoria to answer? You know, she's got a 22-year-old grandson, and he basically says, well, you know, the Bible's you know, just like Wikipedia. Anyone could write what they want, cut and paste. How would you respond to that? Mm. Well, bless you, Victoria. I think it's so beautiful how much you love your grandson, and I know that your prayers for him are are not going to go unanswered. You know, I would tell him that unlike Wikipedia, that can be changed real time by basically anyone, that the Old Testament has been closed for thousands of years. And so, you know, Wikipedia, we can go change it today versus this is a tradition that stood for thousands of years. Um, and it was closed like we were talking about the Old Testament canon or the Old Testament um book that we believe to be um, what Jesus called the scriptures, the Old Testament, it was closed 400 BC. So that's, you know, before Christ. And so it's not real time that you can change it. And then for the New Testament, it was pretty much closed after 100 AD. And so now we're in 2023 at the dawn of 2024. And so it hasn't been changed for a very long time. Sure, there are people who have come up and written books and said, well, no, we think the Gospel of Thomas should be in there, or there are these other competing books that could be in there. But that's why orthodoxy, and that's a big word, but I'm going to use it here, is so important. And orthodoxy meaning what has been the tradition, the the heart and soul of the church for thousands and thousands of years. Um, and one quick thing to Victoria is I think that this generation, a lot of times they distrust tradition or they distrust older people or um, they want to do something new or start something um, like it's not even a fad or a trend, but just something new. And that's all great, except for that we're all inheritors of history. We don't we're not born in a vacuum And it's always important to look back from where you hail or where you come from. And the Bible itself is so steeped in in tried and true history. I would tell your grandson, well, you know what? This has been the, the Bible for thousands of years. It hasn't been changed according to um, Orthodox Christianity. And so, um, yeah, why don't you do some digging? And I think if he's looking at Wikipedia, maybe some better sources are, um, you know, would be better. But that means he's doing research, which is great. And um, I would say, yeah, go and yeah, go do more research. And hopefully that would be a segue for him to to gain more knowledge. It's so good. Even people who don't believe the Bible, who are scholars, would say it's a remarkably well-preserved uh, book or books. Okay, so right. we've only got a few minutes left, so I'm going to ask the callers to work with me and Susan for you to work with me. So we have uh, short questions and kind of a little rapid fire, some of these answers. So I'm going to count on the callers to do that. I'm going to count on you first. Daryl from Illinois, you're live on the air with your question or your comment. Yes, uh, skeptics often say, okay, we don't have the original manuscripts, or I don't think we have too many of them, if any. And so how do you know that it has been transcribed down accurately, you know, through the scribes, through monks? Um, 
And, you know, today we got so many different versions of it. You know, it's like, okay, where, where does all this end and what is, you know, so they say that this okay, is But let's, but Daryl, we got to let her jump in stuff. to answer the question or we're going to run out of time. So thank you, Daryl. Hold on the line. We're going to give you a copy of the book. But Susan, what do you think? So many, we don't have the original autographs. Can we still trust the Bible? Absolutely. Um, when you have thousands and thousands of copies of something and they're nearly identical, then you can say, oh, you know, they're all copying from one source and there must have been an a, a original that is actually true to all of these copies. Um, so, for example, we know that in 1947, that in the caves near Qumran, that we have these what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. I know a lot of people know about them. And the incredible thing is that the whole scroll of um, Isaiah was discovered there and the Masoretic text or the Hebrew Bible and then the Qumran manuscripts are virtually identical. And these have been separated by over about a thousand years. And so it's the opposite of a game of telephone where you're like, you have one message and then it starts getting really fuzzy and it's like totally undiscernible later versus you have the entire book of Isaiah, which is super long, right? 66 chapters that, you know, we, we know of. Uh, that what I mean by that is that original autographs don't have chapters or verses, all of that, but people have put in those later. But the entire scroll in the autograph, whatever that was, was then written. It became the Masoretic text. And then later, in a whole separate area, we discover these scrolls and they're virtually identical. And so there's so much proof um, and thousands and thousands of copies that have come not just from one location, but many locations that corroborate the same the same writings of what the original or the autographs would have said and i would remind people that that susan's book is filled with insights like this It's called light of the word how knowing the history of the bible illuminates our faith and susan thank you so much for taking the time if you wouldn't mind we got about 30 seconds left would you just encourage people to begin to read the bible and try to seek the answers to the questions they have about 30 seconds Absolutely. I just want to say that God loves you. He yearns for you and he desires so much to give you the life that, that you imagine in your heart because that's his heart for you. If you're dreaming something, it's because he's put that dream in there and the best place to go is his, his word. You'll hear his voice. You'll feel his heartbeat. You'll know his love like nothing. So go to his word. Love it. Great advice and counsel. So thankful for Susan Lim. Her book is Light of the Word, How Knowing the History of the Bible Illuminates Our Faith. And I encourage you to pick it up. It's a brand new book. You can pick it up right now and jump in either the new year or maybe at the end of this year as well. And thank you so much, Susan, for taking the time to be on the program. Thank you to our listeners. And thank you particularly for our great callers today as well. Remember to hear today's program again. You'll find it at edstetzerlive.com or at the Moody Radio app. We're on social media. If you want to follow, see what's coming up, hear quotes from the show, it's all at Ed Stetzer Live. And Ed Stetzer Live is a production of Moody Radio, and Moody Radio is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for our great team. Lynn on the phone is doing a great job today. Karen and Bob, as always, we'll see you next time.